0: when you have an abundant mindset and and it, it attracts opportunity. And if the opportunity is kind of in line with your values and it helps you achieve your goals, generally say yes to it. Say yes, even if it feels maybe a little bit uncomfortable or feels like, ah, one more thing for me to do. The other part of that is if the opportunity is not within your values or it doesn't help you achieve your goals or go towards your goals, definitely say no, because that will just otherwise totally bog you down.
1: What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Charlie Stevenson from Acris Capital. And today we have a fairly varied conversation about all things really real estate, getting into real estate, escaping the corporate world by investing in real estate, being an entrepreneur in a space other than real estate. And we're going to talk about that. Charlie started a travel company, which is really interesting. Uh, Exited that company and got into the corporate world and then ultimately escaped the corporate world through real estate investing. Also spends a lot of his time traveling the world using that passive cash flow from his real estate investments. We talk about all of that. We learn about how he and his company evaluates markets that they're investing in from a different distance. They're buying real estate in areas that they don't live in and they need to learn about those markets Find the teams, build the teams, find the deals, put the money together, all that stuff, and we talk about that today as well. We're also learning about a group that Charlie's in that other folks that have been on the show in the past are in this group. Uh, they don't talk about it so much as maybe a little bit like Fight Club, I don't know, but he's getting a lot of value and insight from other successful investors through that group, and uh, I want to talk about it. So you're going to learn about it today as well. If you're new to the show, take a quick second, go to your favorite podcast app, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit that subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device and escape the Wall Street casino along with us. If you do enjoy the show and you're an Apple Podcast user, please take a quick second, go to the Apple Podcast app, look us up, Give us a rate, rating and review, five stars if you don't mind. That's so much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us grow. That helps us rank higher in their algorithm. And uh, it helps me feel good, right? I see everything that you guys have to say. And I really genuinely appreciate um, all of the kind words that you have to say about the show. And, uh, you know, I really, I, I, once again, I appreciate it and it helps us grow. If you're new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I also passively invest in deals with guys like Charlie. I haven't invested with Charlie, but uh, I like finding these guys and investing in their their deals and uh, maybe partnering up with them in the future for my own business. That's happened in the past with other guys. So uh, anyway, without any further ado, here we go with Charlie Stevenson from Acris Capital. Charlie, thank you for joining us
0: today. Thanks, Taylor. Happy to be here.
1: Hey, it's been great to talk with you so far. We've been sitting and chatting and we've got a few really interesting things to share with the audience today. But before we dive into it, could you tell our listeners a bit about yourself, your business, your background, and you know what you do, where you come from?
0: Sure. Yeah. So my name is Charlie Stevenson. I live in Boulder, Colorado, and I uh, have been here for a few years now. Um, my background is a bit varied. I'm originally from Washington State where I grew up kind of in the outdoors out there, Uh, spent a lot of time skiing and backpacking and uh, developed a love for travel. And um, that passion led to the start of my entrepreneurial career after university out in Boston. I started an adventure travel company and moved to Italy where I lived for about four years and uh, ran adventure travel for American study abroad students to ski up in the Alps and go out to the the islands and down to Morocco to ride camels, all kinds of fun stuff. So did that for a good while and had a, had a great time doing it. But, you know, with entrepreneurship, businesses rise and they fall. And, uh, eventually, uh, found myself in corporate America, um, working in the same industry and travel and, uh, my, i met my wife at the time and we were having a, a tough time kind of just grinding through the corporate ladder, kind of that story you hear everybody talk about. And so we decided on our honeymoon to uh, take a, at least a year and go, go travel around the world. And so we quit our jobs and about six months later, uh, packed all of our stuff into backpacks and just traveled all over the world. And during that time, rented our condo in Boston where we were living. And that's when we uh, began to uh, enjoy passive income through real estate investing. And that was the beginning of what ended up becoming Acris Capital, which is our current business, investing and operating uh, multifamily assets in inland growth cities around the United States. So we do that now. We've got about 500 units and growing and uh, have another partner who lives out in Boston named uh, Lin Yang. And yeah, so that's where we are just enjoying life getting our work week down to eventually down to four hours over the course of, you know, several (laughs) years, but having fun, taking care of our investors and, and building our portfolio.
1: That's awesome, man. It sounds like, uh, you, you know, you've had a a lot of fun over the years. What was the name of your travel company, by the way? I'm just curious. It was,
0: yeah, it was called snow or sand adventure travel.
1: (laughs) Uh, That's pretty cool.
0: That's pretty cool. it It was a good time. We had another one called off the grid excursions too, but that only lasted for about a year. Uh, hence the, the businesses that also fail. (laughs) So that's part of the experience of entrepreneurship. Interesting. So that
1: was, that was the, the, the cause of the end. And, you know, you coming back to the States, was it kind of, would not work anymore?
0: Well, no, it was a little bit. So the, the, the first business snow or sand was essentially acquired by an investor, uh, who was going to be supporting our business, uh, and said, I want to support this business. I'm willing to invest more money in it. Let's bring the team from Italy back to Boston to the United States and, and kind of uh, rethink about the business plan. And we did that, and we actually closed Snow or Sand and opened up Off the Grid Excursions. And after about a year, uh, he pulled out um, in kind of a blaze of glory and uh, left us all like looking for the next move. And that's when I got into working for uh, International. Uh, a Swiss and Swedish company um, that did similar things. We built tours for American uh, college students, essentially. So,
1: yeah, awesome. Well, that's a a fantastic, I suppose, early education on uh, starting a business, and I suppose things that can go right and things that can go wrong. That's that's oh yeah, great, to-
0: totally. <laughs> yeah, you learn a lot in in those types of experiences, and uh, yeah. It, hardens you for hardens you strengthens you makes you more open to future opportunities all kinds of stuff but um yeah i'm glad we're doing what we're doing now i like i like multifamily real estate over international travel from a predictability and kind of sensibility perspective it it works for our lives now and then we get to go and travel and have fun you know with the passive income that it generates so it's not like we're not traveling it's just uh you know the tables have turned a little bit we're not the ones providing the travel to people so
1: Absolutely. And, you know, uh, with events, you know, a a year ago, the international travel business would have been a lot more difficult. And multifamilies, you know, had some struggles here and there, depending on your who, you know, who's operating the deal through COVID. But folks are still using the property, still mostly paying rent. So have that, yep. Have that going for it. And uh, you know, today there's a few things I wanted to learn about from you. And and first, just like some some fun deals that you've done. We talked about that before we started hit hit record. And uh, you know, mm. break into some of the 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 oddball, I suppose, if you will. Yeah, as you've done over the years.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I, I think the first few deals that we did early in our multifamily kind of acquisition uh, strategy were some of the really interesting ones. And then I'll jump to kind of some of the stuff we're seeing these days. But some of the early stuff, we were buying smaller multis in Washington State and Eastern Washington. So these are you know like 5 8 12 unit assets that were built anywhere from 1895 to 1975 so all kinds of you know different types of assets of different vintages the very first deal we ever bought was unique because it was a uh, essentially a four unit which was an old Victorian home that had gotten converted into a four unit multi with a small house behind it that was being used as a fifth unit and we saw that and said well that's an opportunity to parcel that off and run it as a fix and flip. So we actually sold that single, that little single family as a fix and flip and then kept the four unit. And um, we're able to create a lot of value out of that. So that was a pretty unique deal. It also had a seller financing component when we bought it. So we actually ended up not even having to use a traditional lender, which was great for our first deal because a lot of times banks don't want to talk to you if you don't have a track record in that in that world. So... That was a, one of our kind of hairiest, but also best deals as our first deal. It also helped us learn a ton and build experience and, and figure out what we needed to do to do bigger deals. So in the middle, we did some kind of more traditional, larger multifamily value add deals that you hear a lot about people talking about, you know, like a 324 unit that was a B plus with a, a light interior renovation value add. Um, and that asset did really well for us. We did, that, we did that in partnership with some teams in Florida and Texas. But it wasn't quite as interesting as maybe some of the stuff we're starting to see, just because, you know, um, I don't know, it's fun to look at deals that have unique components, unique uh, business plans. And because of today's really super competitive environment, the really vanilla value-add multifamily deals um, are just getting snatched up by institutional investors or people that are paying a lot, lot more money. And so frankly, they don't often pencil out for us. So the stuff that we end up finding that works has some weird component, like maybe it was a a red line hotel at one point, and it's being converted into a multifamily and is fifty percent of the way there. And the current developer is ready to wash his hands clean of it and move on. So we put we've been putting offers out on stuff like that. We're about to go under contract on a uh, much smaller deal, but it's a development deal actually in um in one of our newer markets, uh, not that new, but you know one of the markets we entered in the last year. And that's interesting because it came out of a bankruptcy court. Uh, the current developer. All of his investors were scared during COVID. They pulled out somehow. He lost, you know, his financing and it went to bankruptcy. And so we snatched it out of that. So these types of deals are kind of what we're doing, which is fun. It's got us kind of on our feet. It's a little bit, you know, different than our straight up normal core competency, but it's it's forcing us to learn more about development elements and um, you know, different financing structures, et cetera. So I'm I'm really enjoying that kind of stuff.
1: Nice. So there's a, a pretty wide variety,
0: uh maybe not even wide
1: variety, but a lot of multifamily uh types of deals in there. Are there any, you know, tough lessons that you've learned along the way or that you you've learned by you know by picking up a deal from somebody, right? That that dropped the ball. I mean that's what I always try to extract is, you know, those tough lessons that you've picked up. So you know, we don't need to learn them the hard way ourselves.
0: Well, certainly I mean, making sure that you're entering markets and entering asset classes in a really intentional way, so that you don't, you know, enter into a market that and waste a bunch of time building relationships where there's there's not growth and path and progress. You know, uh, I'd say one thing that that we learned uh, the hard way, and and thankfully, not the hard way. Thankfully, we didn't acquire an asset in this market was uh, pre-COVID, we were looking at uh, the Minneapolis market, which is a really great market. Um, you know, there's a lot of development happening there. There's a lot of um, beautiful multifamilies that are ripe for reposition, but the uh, regulatory environment is becoming more and more onerous. And uh, it's harder to enact a business plan because maybe the landlord tenant balance of rights and power has really shifted more towards the tenants, which I mean, we wanna take care of our tenants absolutely too, in a really fair and just way. But we also need to be able to enact a business plan. And so we started to see that happen in some of the West Coast markets. Uh, we didn't think it was going to be in Minneapolis and in Minnesota when we were exploring that market. Uh, but we didn't, but COVID really accelerated kind of the development of that regulatory environment such that it was onerous to owners. And so we actually pulled out after spending about two or three months, you know, in earnest building relationships with the brokerage, building relationships with investors, et cetera. And I uh, had to kind of start from scratch in a different market. So we ended up, you know, developing in other places. So I guess that's one, one little thing that, you know, make sure you know the market you're entering into from a regulatory environment. Is it going to support a business plan that might be value-add that has you moving rents up and needing to be able to really stabilize your tenant population? So that's one thing. Another thing specific to assets is really know the type of asset that you that works for you, you know, Um, especially the vintage, uh, meaning the age that the thing was built, the year that thing was built. Like we avoid the 70s because there were a lot of um, kind of strange workarounds and (laughs) a lot of corners that were cut during those times. And so the 70s, you could end up inheriting a building that has a really old falling apart boiler system or galvanized piping or stuff that costs Huge amounts of money to remediate that doesn't really improve your net operating income. It just really is like deferred maintenance that keeps the thing from getting condemned. So make sure you're looking for those types of things and finding out what the common kind of underlying issues are in the market with older assets. So really understanding what is that perfect vintage for you um, and, and what you're into. So I mean, maybe that's your business plan is going and fixing up deferred maintenance. We don't see you know a lot of value to extract there, but um, perhaps that's something that. Another operator might see
1: now one of the things that uh, that that first point that you said about um, understanding a market you know in earnest I believe was the the phrase that you used now I, I I'm sure this is not the same context that you're talking about, but you know I've been on the the seller side sales side of a deal where you know it goes under contract falls out of contract, and then the potential buyer loses tens of thousands of dollars in Earnest money depo- deposit, right? Um, mm-hmm. Had you guys, you know, pulled out of that market before you got to that point, got deals under contract, and then we're like, "Well, these aren't going to work out." Or, you know, at what point did you, did you decide to you know, pull the plug and, you know, yeah, break out? It
0: was way, yeah, it was way before we ma- submitted any LOIs or got anything under contract. It was the writing was on the wall. I mean, we were sitting in Minneapolis having coffee with some lenders the day that, you know, they started to shut down, you know, certain things in the public environment for COVID. And we were kind of like this, you know, that already was a little bit troubling. But then, you know, the the way they were talking about kind of the way things were going with the regulatory environment, we had not yet encouraged enough deal flow where we saw something that penciled out. So, um, but to your point about, you know, retrading a deal, because something macroeconomics happening, really, like, that would be a big, no, no, that would be something we would not want to do. Like we, the re- the relationship you have with the deal providers, with the brokers is really, really critical. And it's important to us that we're only going to, we're only going to back out of a deal. If there's something that was not disclosed to us or something fishy that came out of something. I mean, by the time we're submitting an L line, certainly by the time we're under contract on something, we're going to have conducted quite a bit of due diligence on that asset. We'll have talked to, you know, local property managers who may even have experience operating the asset so we'll have a lot of information. We hope by the time you know we've gotten to a point where we're submitting an offer, so that we don't have to you know pull out of anything. We we don't have a reputation for doing that, and certainly don't want to create one.
1: So that is a a very I think interesting topic is how successful real estate investors can get comfortable with a, a remote market. You know, you're an operator yourself. We've got a lot of passive investors that listen, and in a certain way, or. A, not even in a certain way. Passive investors are trusting the sponsors to really understand those markets, and not just from a regulatory standpoint, but from a you know have the market dynamics. You know why is somebody going to rent this property for a hundred bucks right. more a month than they rent it for now, and yeah. how do you really get to that point? Because you know. I, I, how, you know, you got to trust what a property manager is telling you. You got to trust what a mm-hmm. broker's telling you and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of find the the middle ground, right? Or, or the real data. How do you make yourself yeah. comfortable with a remote market?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. And what we do is we spend a lot of time in the market in person. Um, so we, we travel there. We do a lot of, pr- you know, primary research on the fundamentals of the economy. Luckily, I've got two partners who are chartered financial analysts. They worked on Wall Street for better, almost you know, combined three decades. And so they've got a lot of fundamental understanding of how to analyze uh, a market, how to look at macroeconomic and microeconomic trends. And so by the time we actually choose to enter and further explore market in person, we've you know really cut it, sliced it and diced it by 20 or 30 different uh, quantitative and qualitative metrics and um, have determined that this is a market that has the growth characteristics that our investment thesis requires and there are about six different quantitative characteristics that are necessary for us to uh, even further explore markets so once that box has been checked and we know that this is a growth growing market with path and progress it's inland uh, then we go there and we spend time talking to every person that's willing to sit down and have a coffee with us these are brokers of all sizes these are wholesalers these are agents Property managers of all sizes, uh, local connections, friends, members of the Go Abundance group that I'm a part of. You know, we create a a pretty robust infrastructure in that market to develop a mosaic of opinions and a mosaic of information that we can then sort of distill the the kind of the ultimate, you know, what's happening here. And you know, a, a big part of that is the property manager that we select. A big part of that is you know, kind of looking at what other peers are doing in that market and what they're seeing. And then once you're starting to encourage deal flow, continuing to return the market, you know, we're in our markets every single month. Uh, our partners are in our markets every single month. And I'm, I'm going down there, I'm renting a car at, you know, the airport, and I'm literally driving neighborhoods, submarkets. we even put our phones up on record mode, and drive through neighborhoods that are target neighborhoods for us so that I can come back and show my partners like, oh, we drove through this submarket, and here's kind of what it looks like. And, you know, here's, you know, what we see developing, et cetera. So we're really keeping a close eye on it so that we can be strong fiduciaries for our investors' capital and for our own capital because we co-invest in all of our deals. So um, we're not going to invest, you know, in a place that we don't like and certainly not bring other people's money into it either.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned, uh, go abundance and we've had a few go abundance members on the show in the past. And I don't think we've mm-hmm. really, uh, discussed it. And, you know, I'd like to learn more about what it's been like, uh, being a member of that organization, what that's done for you. And, um, I don't know your, your thoughts about it. You know, I've, I've been asked sure. by a few folks if I'm interested in joining. and. It's, uh, mm-hmm. we don't need to give any numbers, but it's hard to get over the sticker shock maybe sometimes. So I don't know. Yeah. Tell us about your experience.
0: Yeah. So for those that aren't familiar with what GoBundance is, uh, their tagline is, uh, healthy, wealthy, generous men leaving epic and balanced lives. And, um, essentially, uh, it's a group of men and there is a separate group for women. My partner Yang is actually in the women's group. Um, but the men's group is separated and, um, it's a group of, uh, of guys who, uh, essentially have interest in supporting each other in our growth and development across six different um, kind of pillars within our lives. So it's not just about building your your professional career and, your, and wealth. It's also about uh, really focusing on your family and your partner and your spouse and your kids. It's about focusing on yourself and your own health and well-being, both physical and mental well-being. Um, it's about uh, being uh, genuinely, a genuine contribution to the community that you're part of, um, donating your time and, and resources if you if you have them to donate, and a group of guys that is holding you accountable to creating goals across those different areas, but also achieving them. So one of the pillars is bucket list adventures. And so one thing I do every single quarter is I look at the top five bucket list adventures I have in my life, and uh, I've got a group of guys that is like Charlie. What are you doing to actually? get to that. Like, you want to go live in the South of France at some point in your life? Like, what steps are you taking today to actually make that happen? Go learn five words of French, you know, silly example. But the point being is, you know, uh, it's a group of guys that is holding you accountable to, to what it is that you're living, you want to like live up to in your life. And so, yeah, I've really enjoyed being a part of it. It's been two years now that I've been involved. I I co-lead the local chapter here in Denver, Boulder, Uh, I also co-lead the multifamily micro tribe, which focuses on multifamily, all things related, um, with a couple of guys. And, uh, it's just a group of guys that are inspiring to be around. Some are like extremely, extremely successful in, in different ways in their lives. And, um, and others are really challenged and working to get there and, you know, uh, and a mix. So it's just, um, good group to be a part of i i think does that answer your question a little bit
1: yeah i think so it's something i've wanted to learn more about and uh like i said we've had folks on the show in the past who i i find out typically afterwards or through the grapevine that are uh you know in the group uh you guys don't don't tend to talk about it that much it's uh, it's almost like fight club i don't know so it's good yeah i
0: mean uh, it's it's really not too. see it's not we don't try to be too secretive about anything i mean it's just um you know uh there is a little bit of like a cachet we do have around you know a mastermind that we have once once a month and that's kind of our inner sanctum and we have you know uh rituals that sounds scary but they're not really it's like more like um you know share wins challenges and uh commitments you have in your life and we share those with each other and then we support each other on them so it's not like we're hazing each other or anything like <laughs> uh, uh on sunday a couple of the guys, uh, put together a little miniature ski mountaineering expedition and I joined them. So at four thirty in the morning, I'm driving, you know, into the mountains to go and climb up a 13,200 foot peak. And at 9.00 AM, I'm sitting on the top of this thing, looking over at the plains, you know, and, and having a, a kind of a cool experience with a group of guys. And we pushed each other all morning long. And, uh, so it's, it's all kinds of stuff like that. And, um, uh, I've, like I said, I've really enjoyed being a part of it and I'm humbled and it's a privilege to be a part of it as well.
1: Awesome. Well, right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Charlie, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's do it. Great. First one. What is the best investment you ever made other than in your education?
0: Yeah. Um, so I mean, I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. I think the best investment we made was probably our first investment because it was it affirmed our business plan. Um, it was this small multifamily that I mentioned that was a, ended up just being a five unit, you know. And it didn't. That's you know, not a not a big asset, and certainly it's not a main focus for us to look at stuff like that these days. But it was uh, in Spokane, Washington, and it was uh, you know in my hometown. And we bought it for around $300,000. We enacted a business plan and in 14 months or 16 months, we sold it for five fifty. dollars So uh, that gave us, repaid our, our, our kind of startup capital for our business. It gave us some more capital to deploy. It was the track record we needed to have the bank start to take us a little bit more seriously and allowed us to get a line of credit. Um, taught us about seller financing. It taught us about the types of assets that we wanted to buy from a vintage perspective. So we knew we didn't want to buy anything that was built like right after the civil war. (laughs) Um, So it was like all kinds of learnings wrapped into it. We had a, an excavation project on it, that that almost hit a gas line. So we had to learn about all the different risks of excavation and, how to deal with the local government and skid, you know, kind of grease the skids for certain projects to go forward. So it was just a good overall education, um, and uh, it also felt good to kind of contribute back to my local community where I grew up.
1: Nice, nice. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever
0: made? Yeah, I was thinking about that leading up to this call, and really like, I think the worst investment I ever made was one I absolutely didn't learn from, which it was almost like an automatic investment too, which was when I was working in the corporate world, I was given a 401k plan and it was, you know, asked to kind of put money into it. And I did, and it was part of my, you know, part of this matching program. And, you know, so it was a kind of a traditional run-of-the-mill 401k with mutual funds and they didn't let you really dial your, your risk appetite up or down too much. And they sort of just, Kind of just happened. It kind of felt like a bank account and it did nothing for me really to learn. I maybe made a few thousand dollars over the course of the several years I worked for that company, but you know, I just don't think I really learned anything. And for every and every investment that I ever made, after that, whether it was related to the time that I put into an entrepreneurial endeavor and the set sweat equity that I earned out of that, or actual money that I invested into a business or into an actual investment, I feel like I always learned something from it. I learned, you know, what to do or what not to do. You know, I made connections with people that benefited my life in some way or another and, and enriched, you know, my life and my experience. And so that, when I look back at all my invest my my career of investing that that just stands out as total vanilla that just never really did anything for me. So that, I think that was the worst investment I ever made, and it was almost automatic. I couldn't, I don't know if I could have even avoided it.
1: <laughs> so, nice. yeah. My favorite question here at the end of the show is, "What is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing?"
0: Yeah, I love this, que- I love this question. So it was immediately clear when I read this. I think it's having an abundant mindset, um, and a, a mindset that. That there is a lot of pie out there for everybody. You know, there's a lot, a lot of opportunity, there's a lot of deals, there's a lot of capital to deploy. Um, there's a lot of people out there that have a lot to share with you and 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 want to move you along. There's a lot of people that want to throw down rope ladders so you can get up into the clubhouse too. For a lot of my life, I had a more scarce mindset. I really wanted to protect myself, protect my ideas, protect my capital, protect my team. You know, and I think that really limited me uh, in terms of opportunity um, and having an abundant mindset, which our company's name, Acris Capital, is the Scandinavian god of abundance is Acris, Like that, that's been sort of our the drum that we've beat. And when you have an abundant mindset and, and it, it attracts opportunity, and if the opportunity is kind of in line with your values and it helps you achieve your goals, generally say yes to it. Say yes, even if it feels maybe a little bit uncomfortable or feels like, ah, one more thing for me to do. The other part of that is if the opportunity is not within your values or it doesn't help you achieve your goals or go towards your goals, definitely say no, because that will just otherwise totally bog you down. So an abundant mindset with a yes, you know, uh, kind of oriented perspective, I think can really move you a really long, a long ways in business and, and investment. Awesome.
1: Well, Charlie, thank you for joining us today and bringing us all these lessons and allowing me to ask a few uh, questions that are burning, have been burning in my own mind. If folks yeah. want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, they want to find you on the internet, whatever, where can they mm-hmm. do that?
0: Yeah, thanks, Taylor. Um, so my company is called Acris Capital. Our website is Akris, A-K-R-I-S, capital.com. Go there. There's all kinds of resources, lots of ways to get in touch with myself and my other partners. We've got an ebook there you can download that talks all about our company. And you can also connect with us via uh, Facebook and LinkedIn. We're on all the different traditional social spaces. So... Yeah, happy to connect with you. Just reach out. Um, again, my name is Charlie Stevenson and you'll be able to find my contact information uh, anywhere on our website. But uh, yeah, thanks, Taylor. I really appreciate your time today. It's been fun.
1: Yeah, likewise. Thank you for joining us and thanks everybody out there for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a second, leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show, helps us grow on the Apple, Apple algorithm and all that kind of stuff that just helps other people get their ears on the show and grow along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Make your own little uh, go abundance group and get together, start growing your wealth through real estate investing. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.